This episode is brought to you by Odd Mo's Pizza in Canby. Handmade awesome pizza plus craft beer, wine, and cider delivered. Order today at 503-263-8444 or visit them online at oddmoes.com. This episode is also brought to you by Canby Foursquare Church. Since 1978, a place to grow, connect, and serve. Sunday services on campus and online at 9 a.m. and 11 a.m. Learn more at canbyfoursquare.com. Welcome to Now Hear This Canby, your source for news. The threat of a possible teacher strike was avoided this week. There's a new irresistibly cute creature winning over fans, and its name is Scootaloo. Sports? It's like Lucy in the football. You want to kick a field goal, but they take it away from you. We had to learn how to win. Goal can't be in the last second of the game! And interesting conversations. Because I'm one of the strongest girls ever, and I know that for a fact. (laughs) I just really enjoy writing gossip as if I was a bear. (laughs) With an old maid daughter that makes the best moonshine in the coast. (laughs) If it would have hit me in the face, I think I would have died. I really do. I guarantee you would have died, man. Are you kidding me? Welcome to Now Hear This Canby Podcast. Thanks for listening. I'm Tyler Clawson, and this is what's happening this week in our community. Longtime Karis Elementary School Principal Sam Thompson has been tabbed to lead Baker Prairie Middle School, the Canby School District announced this week. Thompson will replace Jennifer Turner, who last November announced her retirement at the end of the school year after 25 years as a Canby educator and administrator. Thompson has also served as an assistant principal at Ackerman Middle School and taught at the middle school and high school levels. Starting next fall, he will become the fourth principal of Canby's largest and main middle school since its opening in 2006 after Turner, Betty Rivness, and Lou Bailey. We have great confidence that Mr. Thompson is the right fit for Baker Prairie. District Communications Director Kristen Waller said in a message to students and families, In a community survey about Baker Prairie's next leader, families overwhelmingly agreed that they wanted someone who builds strong relationships with staff, students, families, and the community, Waller said. They also expressed a need for leaders who would listen and communicate clearly and support staff while students hoped for someone approachable, understanding, and fun. Sam has a proven record in our district of filling these expectations and more water set. In an email to the Karis community, Thompson said he looks forward to returning to the middle school environment. It is exciting for me to re-enter this setting. Thompson said. I'm looking forward to creating opportunities for kids to blossom as they discover more about themselves and their individual interests and skills. Thompson said that this has been an honor serving the Karis community for more than a decade and he looks forward to continuing to serve the Canby School District in his new role in the next academic year, saying, quote, while I will be sad to leave the halls of Karis filled with dedicated and caring staff, and the joy, innocence, and curiosity of elementary learning. I am excited to be able to continue to serve you and your children 
as they grow up and enter their middle school years and face the joys and challenges of middle school level learning. The Canby City Council this week agreed to add the Canby Depot Museum to the local register of historic resources, which includes a historic protection overlay zone designation to help preserve the more than a century old building. The designation has been in the works since last year when the Canby Historical Society first submitted the application and held the neighborhood meeting for property owners within the 500 foot radius. The Canby Heritage and Landmark Commission approved the application last December and the Planning Commission signed off in January after a brief discussion about the possibility of the Depot Museum eventually being relocated downtown to a more suitable location. According to the Canby Historical Society, the designation will aid in the organization in applying for grants and help preserve the site, which also serves as the group's headquarters and a museum honoring the community's history. The depot building is more than 130 years old, but was eligible for historical designation not simply because of its age. As local historian and CHS member Carol Palmer explains, one of its biggest pluses was its association with the early development of Canby as a shipping and distribution center. Local historian Carol Palmer and City Economic Development Director Jamie Stickle present the history of the Canby Depot Museum building at the February 15, 2023 Council meeting. The construction of the first depot in 1870 put Canby on the map as an important destination on the Southern Pacific's main line stretching from Portland to California. With the arrival of the Oregon and California Railroad came greater economic flexibility, access to new markets for shipping local crops and goods, and new residents. After the original structure was destroyed in a windstorm in 1891, the current depot was built the following year. Southern Pacific would operate the facility for nearly a century, adding on to and remodeling it numerous times until it finally retired from service in 1976. It's one of only three SP number 11 combination depots that's still standing from the 19th century. For almost nine decades, the depot was the focal point of the community's commercial core and foundational element of its agricultural-based economy, Palmer said. The Southern Pacific Railroad was vital to the economic development of the area and extends west from Louisiana to California and north to Oregon. In 1978, Southern Pacific offered to donate the depot to the city, promoting then-Mayor Robert Rapp to appoint an advisory committee. Community activists interested in saving a site that has been central to the, de the development of their city worked together to preserve the building, relocate it, and convert it into a museum, Palmer said. A portion of the warehouse had to be removed to fit the structure of its new site. It was moved in 1983, and after repairs were made and the interior was remodeled, the museum opened to the public in 1984.
Akambi Family and local nonprofit are hoping to bring the community together this Easter season with Micah's Egg Hunt, a unique event in honor and remembrance of eight-month-old Micah Peterson, who passed away tra tragically and unexpectedly on Easter Sunday 2022. That holiday celebration was meant to be like any other for the Peterson family. Every past Easter since we've owned our home, we've always planned an Easter potluck with an egg hunt, Micah's mom, Nicola Peterson, explained. This gathering was for our friends and family that didn't have anywhere else to be. As planned, Nicola and her husband Joshua woke up at 5 a.m. to get the ham in the oven and start making preparations for the party and their Easter church service. That's when they found Micah in his bed unresponsive and non-breathing. Joshua laid him down and immediately began performing infant CPR. By this time, I was screaming, Nicola recalled. A mother's scream of what no one could ever imagine. The screaming still rings in my ears. Nicola called 911 and emergency medical personnel from Canby Fire District responded to the scene to begin life-saving measures that tragically were not successful. We were escorted out of our home, and we weren't allowed back inside for hours, she recalled. When we were finally asked to come sit down in two of our kitchen chairs on our front porch and told our boy did not make it, it was the worst day of our lives. Sleepwalking numbly through a parent's worst nightmare, Nicola began sending SOS to family and close friends who rallied to their home with an outpouring of love and support. I remember saying, I never want to celebrate Easter again, she said. I told everyone I will never do it again. But things change. And as Nicola and her family have journeyed through their earth-shattering loss, she always knew she wanted to do something to honor their only son, Micah whose nickname since birth has been Moose. This thought popped into my head telling me, you're going to have a free community egg hunt, she recalled. You're going to honor your son and you're going to celebrate his life, all while fundraising for your favorite foundation, a foundation that has supported you in this journey. That foundation was the Haven Rose Foundation, a Clackamas-based nonprofit that seeks to instill hope and cultivate community by providing genuine care and outlets for healing to families who have experienced the loss of a child. The event will also include a raffle, food trucks, crafts, and other fun activities. Nicola said she and her family want to give back to the community that have supported them through their tragedy. She also hopes to foster healing conversations and understanding around the difficult but more prevalent than you think subject of child loss. Nobody ever expects to lose a child. And it's such a different type of loss, Nicola said. It shakes us to our core. It's not supposed to be this way. My ultimate hope is the community will enjoy this day with us as we come up upon a year of missing our moose. A day where I know Micah would be just so proud of me, continuing on even when I don't want to. I see everyone having such a fun-filled day together, a day that will help bring healing and open my heart to celebrate Easter again. That's what Micah's Egg Hunt is truly about. 
Micah's egg hunt will be held from 11 a.m. to 1 p.m. on Saturday, April 1st at Maple Street Park in Camden. The event is free and open to the public through sponsorships and donations. All proceeds benefit the Haven Rose Foundation in the name of Micah Peterson. Cougar Country Hometown Sports Coverage is brought to you by Rife and Huntsaker PC. When you need an attorney, turn to the firm Camby has trusted for over 50 years. Call them today at 503-266-3456. For the latest in sports news, follow us on Twitter at Cougar Country or and Instagram at Cougar Country Pod. The Canby High School wrestling team hosted the Northwest Oregon Conference District Championships on Saturday and capped its NWOC debut by doing pretty much what it has been doing all season, dominating. The Cougars mauled their competition en route to the district crown with 419 points, far outpacing second place Centennial with 261. Senior Ethan Ensard, captain incredible high school career claiming the 160 pound district title in a 5-2 decision in the 160 class over fellow Coug James Kinnunen and was also tabbed as one of the tournament's top wrestlers while coach Jimmy Ensert was named NWOC coach of the year. Other champions in their weight class were Craig Williams at 120 who defeated Centennial Samuel Ramirez in a 2-0 decision. Thomas Marquise at 152, who took a 7-3 decision over Kevin Castro of Hood River Valley and Wyatt Samarian at 170, who won by fall in four minutes, 49 seconds, over fellow Cougar Isaiah Parsons. Cody Stevenson took second in the 106 weight class, losing by fall to Centennial's John Duong in 35 seconds, while Matthew Young also claimed silver at 126, losing to Milwaukee's Theo Baldwin in a 9-2 decision. Camby's Benjamin Young also took second at 138, being defeated by Skylar Salzman of Hillsborough in a 6-3 decision, as did Jackson Doman, losing to Hillsborough's Preston Echeveria in a 10-1 major decision. Third place finishers for the Cougs include Nico Yazzolino at 120, Peter Sanson at 152, Tyler Knold at 195, and Paul Mazingala in the heavyweight 285 pound division. Dean Williams, Gabe Barker, and Gideon Noss claimed fourth in their respective divisions. The commanding performance was the perfect end to the perfect season for the Cougs, in which they went 15-0 in dual meets and won all five tournaments in which they competed. In all, Canby qualified 18 wrestlers to compete in the OSAA Wrestling State Championship, which will be held this weekend at the Veterans Memorial Coliseum in Portland. 
And in other sports news, Canby High School's top swimmers headed to the Tualatin Hills Aquatic Center in Beaverton this weekend to compete in the 5A Swimming State Championships. Canby's team of senior Allison Yancey, sophomore Karina Swatsky, senior Avery Kanoanen, and junior Kaylee Mole claimed second in the 200 medley relay with a time of 1 minute 51 seconds, while the team of Yancey, Kanoanen, Mole, and junior Amanda Yancey finished third in the 400 freestyle relay with a time of 3 minutes 39 seconds. Both quartets had won gold at the Northwest Oregon Conference District Championships the previous weekend. Allison Yancey capped her swimming career at Canby High School with another bronze medal, swimming to third in the 100-meter backstroke in 57.81 seconds, and a fourth-place finish in the 200-meter individual medley in two minutes and nine seconds. In the other girls' results, Mole swam to fourth in both the 100 and 200 freestyle events with times of 54.47 seconds and 1 minute 56 seconds, respectively. Kanoan also claimed fifth in the 200 individual medley with a time of 2 minutes 12 seconds and swam to sixth in the 100 butterfly in 59.84 seconds. And Gamby's team of Swatsky, Amanda Yancey, and junior Catherine Taggart and sophomore Michaela Knowles finished sixth in the 200 freestyle relay with a time of 1 minute 46 seconds. In the team's scores, the Cougs finished fifth with 36 behind Crescent Valley, Summit, Mountain View, and state champion Ben. On the boys' side, junior Isaac Beck claimed a fourth-place finish in the 500 freestyle with a time of 4 minutes 57 seconds and swam to fifth in the 200 freestyle in 1 minute 50 seconds. And junior Kai Leighton claimed fourth in the 200 medley and sixth in the 100 breaststroke with times of 2 minutes 4 seconds and 1 minute 3 seconds, respectively. Finally, the boys' team of Beck, Leighton, and freshman Ethan Beck and Andrew Hayhurst finished sixth in the 400 freestyle relay with a time of 3 minutes 34 seconds. In team scores, the Canby boys finished ninth with 11 points. Great season, Cougars. Hey, Frankie, I'm going to be a little late to our next episode. I have to go to Portland for a doctor's appointment. I've been dealing with this cold and it feels like forever. So I need to just go see if I can get a prescription. Oh, yeah. I'm sorry to hear that. But hey, you could probably just do a telehealth appointment, right? Rather than having to drive all the way out there. Uh, yeah, I would teleport if I could, but mm, pretty sure that hasn't been invented yet. <laughs> no, not teleport, Tyler. Telehealth. Oh. Telehealth is like the remote diagnosis and treatment of patients through the use of telecommunications tech, like, you know, like a video call. Well, yeah, it would it would actually be really nice to not have to drive all the way out there for a simple appointment like this one. Yeah. And hey, you know, telehealth uh, isn't even just about remote doctor's appointments. There's been a big boom in connected devices that can help monitor your health and track different vitals. Smartwatches these days, they can track your heart rate, calories burned during a workout, even run ECG tests and keep track of your blood oxygen levels. Plus there are devices out there that can help keep track of aging loved ones health needs like sensors that can tell when a medicine cabinet has been opened or pressure pads that tell you when they've gotten out of bed. 
wow, that's all really cool. What do you do with all that health data? Well, you can track and send some of the data to your doctor, and there are even tests that can be done over the internet too, like using a digital stethoscope to examine and record a patient's heart and lung sounds during a telemedicine video call. I guess you'd need a pretty solid internet connection to make these devices talk to one another and send data back and forth, right? Yeah, you bet. Fast, consistent download and upload speeds are necessary to transfer live video and medical information. And the best option in town for reliable, secure, and fast connections are our friends at DirectLink. Visit them online at www.directlink.coop for more information or give their local team a call at 503-266-8111. Do you think they'll figure out how to do teleporting next? Because that would be cool. I'll ask them. Okay. Joining us on the Canby Conversation today, we're so excited to be talking with Karen Dupay. She is the owner of Rock Tree Hill, which is a small nursery here in the Canby area on Cracksburger Road, growing a whole mess of things, right, Karen? Vegetables, herbs, flower starts? That pretty much sums it up. I do a few <laughs> perennials also. Oh, awesome. Um, so tell us a little bit about the, the history of the farm and kind of how you got into it. Uh, we moved out here in about 2014, and mm-hmm. it was a wide open slate. Wasn't really sure what we were going to do with it. We were kind of getting out of 4-H, raising goats with my daughter. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I started getting a little more interested in plants and raising plants for myself. So I took um, took a few classes at Clackamas Community College, the horticulture program, and decided to go ahead and put up a greenhouse. Um, I'd worked for a greenhouse before, worked for a couple local nurseries, and just wanted to try doing it on my own. So I kind of invested my retirement in that, you know, aspect. Awesome. So it's taken a while to get all the little parts of the greenhouse hooked up. The electricity took a while. We're still working on a full heating system. But um, yeah, I do pretty much everything by myself and just grow what I can. I grow mostly everything by seed Mm -hmm. and um, sell it mostly from my, my location. I have done, um, I've done, I think a couple farmers markets. It's a little challenging because I'm by myself. Don't really have any help. Not big enough to hire somebody, you know, so it's, it's always challenging to try to find a way to market the product. But yeah, <clears throat> yeah, that can be tough. Pretty common out here, though, right? Are there, there's a lot of kind of folks who do do a little gardening or farming on the side or, or kind of do it as a retirement or as a, a, a side gig. I think there's a lot more of them than people realize. Yeah. And I think the challenge for us is that we're too small to really get into the big marketing um, aspect. Yeah. So getting your voice heard is really is really hard. I mean, we live on a dead end road, so it's not like I can have a roadside stand. Right. So that's that's another challenge. So not a, not a lot of through traffic going to a dead end road. Yeah. Well, it was the busiest dead end road I've ever been on, but I mean, it's still a dead end road. Yeah. So. Yeah. <laughs> Only goes so far. Um, where'd you come up with the name Rock Tree Hill? Oh my gosh. Well, this property has nothing but rocks on it. 
We're surrounded by trees and we pretty much live on a hill. And, you you know, I didn't want to be like two oaks farm or something. Mm -hmm. I tried to be a little bit different and that just popped into my head. And I thought it's, you know, it just sounds good. Yeah. Yeah. I was noticing your Facebook page um, describes it as an urban farm. Is that accurate? I don't know what, <laughs> I don't know if urban is the right word, but okay. yeah, we're kind of out in the, out in the Tuleys. So yeah. Yeah. I wouldn't say Cracksburger road is, is like downtown New York city necessarily, but <laughs> yeah. So it, it's kind of a, it's kind of one of those things. It's hard to know what to pick for the options that they give you, but right. Yeah. Facebook, Facebook's confusing, isn't it? And calling it just a nursery. I mean, we do sell, a few other things occasionally as we can. So sometimes it's chicken eggs or, you know, whatever. So it's always, it's always a, a in flux. Yeah. The nursery, the growing the plants is pretty much going to stick around. Yeah. What, what do you like about uh, growing? You mentioned that you grow most of uh, what you grow from seed. What do you like about doing it that way? The challenge. <laughs> yeah, really. Tell me about that. And, you know, a lot of the local growers, um, they just buy in plugs. Yeah. And I don't want to say anybody can do that, but anybody can do that. I mean, <laughs> you just buy it. It shows up at your door. You put it somewhere warm with some light. You put yeah. it in a bigger container. You turn around, you sell it. Yeah. The seeds, you know, you kind of have to know what, what temperature they want to germinate at, how long mm. it's going to take. And that entails a whole nother setup. Um, I've, I do some of it in my house. I do some of it in a spare laundry room. I'm doing some of it out in the greenhouse now that we have some electricity out there, but yeah, I just like to see, you know, how I can get stuff growing. And I learned to do some of that in college too. And I thought that was pretty cool. You know, being able to take that little tiny thing and make a big, huge plant out of it. That's what I was going to say. There's almost something a little, magic about growing from seeds right there's so there's a sense of wonder i mean like you said if you start from the plugs you 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 have a plant you know you give it the basic things it needs and then you have a larger plant but that's uh kind of the same thing you started with but yeah to you know there's all different kinds of seeds they're all different sizes and different shapes and and that's fun and then you put them in the dirt and hopefully like you say it can be a challenge but hopefully you get something completely different that emerges from this, this dirt. It's kind of, it's kind of cool. Yeah. And sometimes you just never know what you're going to get. And then you have to get it past the, you know, the bug stage and the growing Mm -hmm. tall enough stage and then transplanting it stage. And I know that some people say, well, that's, you know, time equals money, but I just enjoy it. I mean, I, I like making sure that I'm, giving somebody the best tender, loving, cared plant that they could possibly want to put out in their garden. So, yeah, you know, feedback's been really good with everything that's ever left the place. So I'm happy with that. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Um, you, you said what's been really good. The feedback. Oh, feedback. Gotcha. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. Um, is there anything sort of unique that you grow and sell, uh, and produce something that, uh, or anything that's like, you know, really popular kind of bestseller for you or. I have different things each year. Uh-huh. Uh, it has. I haven't really found like a specific thing. I do some scented geraniums. I like to grow citrus and I've been propagating some more citrus. This year, I'm hoping to do a little more herbs and some, I'm hoping 
to offer um, cut flowers too. Yeah, I was going to say, looking through your Facebook page, it seems like flowers are a big a big part of what you do. You mentioned that. Right. And I, I did cut flowers for one year, never really marketed them because I had a um, medical emergency with one of my kids. So that I had to put that on hold. And then yeah. when I was planning on doing it again this year, um, I found out I'm going to be a grandma for the second time. So that kind of puts my summer into a little bit different mode. So I'm not really sure how how it's going to turn out, but I figure I'll just grow it and see what happens. <laughs> well, congratulations. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, that's awesome. So how can folks um, connect with you, Karen, or find out more about what you do? The best way is to go to the Facebook page, Rock Tree okay. Hill, mm -hmm. and message me on my phone number or leave me a message on through Facebook. You can cool. call, but a lot of times I've got my hands in the dirt and I just don't get my phone calls. Yeah. yeah. And we have a big dog and I keep my gate closed 90% of the time now. So if people just randomly show up, I'm open, but the gate's shut and it's got a tricky little lock on it. Yeah. So people always think that the gate's locked and yeah. it's, it's like, well, I'm here. Just, you know, you got to just let me know you're coming and I'll get the gate open for you. Yeah. Yeah. We kind of encountered a little bit of that, even just setting up this interview. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You being so busy in the, in the dirt. Yes. It's always, it's always a factor. Yeah. Um, so obviously, you know, one thing I wanted to ask you about and you being so small, you probably even feel this more than um, anyone, but just kind of, you know, you getting into this business and now I imagine inflation, supply chain, all that stuff. Has that uh, been pretty difficult to navigate? The supply chain has been a little bit of an impact. Um, yeah. Haven't really felt much about the seed shortage. Definitely the fertilizer shortage. Okay. And soil also can be a little hard to come by if it's not just more expensive. Because um, do you need specialty kind of soils and, and fertilizers to grow from seed like you do? Yeah, there's different things that I use for the baby seedlings. And then if it's a hanging basket or if it's going to be a container that's going to sit around for a while. Um, yeah, there's different soils. And I, I grow 90% of my own food. So that is going to be in a different medium also. I don't grow it all in the ground. A lot of it I grow in containers just because it's easier. So oh, really? In the, yeah. in the greenhouse as well or like in your home? Right. Or? Yeah, I have stuff growing in the greenhouse year round. Okay, cool. Yeah. yeah. Um, the, the products that you sell when you, when you're selling, uh, starts and things for folks to plant in their own garden, how do you, do you have like disposable containers or how do you get, how do folks pick up what they need? It's just a pretty standard, um, little just, black nursery pot. Yeah. And sure. you know, people bring them back. That's great. Um, they're not really, uh, recyclable. They're certainly not biodegradable. They're just cheap plastic pots, but yeah. Yeah, I'm always sourcing those from people. And so I've been really lucky to have a good supply. Of course, that increases the workload because then I have to wash and disinfect everything. But, right. you know, there's no better way to spend a cold spring day than outside with your hands in the water. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, that doesn't sound unpleasant at all. No, not at all. <clears throat> um, is, there, is there a pretty standard amount of time, uh, you know, or age of, I mean, I know it, there is some variability obviously, but, um, is there a, a somewhat standard range or window for when you sell starts? Is it, you know, a month old or does it just vary wildly? 
It totally varies. Sometimes it just depends on how quick it grows, if it looks like it's ready to grow. Sometimes I feel a lot of pressure from everybody else starting to sell in the area and I'll like throw a few things out there too. But you know, you kind of just wait until it's ready to leave. I make sure stuff's been hardened off and it's going to be able to live in a different environment. I don't like sending a little tender plant out of my greenhouse into somebody's backyard where it's going to croak over and die. So yeah, yeah. That's one thing I wanted to ask is what are some kind of general tips for uh, folks that maybe want to get into gardening and want to, um, uh, and maybe like me have a, uh, not a green thumb, but what you might call a brown thumb. What are some uh, good ways to kind of get plants and, and hopefully keep them alive? What are some general tips? Well, you used to be able to ask at the local garden center, but I've noticed that not everybody working these days, um, is strong on work ethic and really cares. Mm. So a friend of mine started a local um, gardening group called For the Love of All Things Gardening on Facebook. Mm-hmm. And we are always encouraging people to ask questions. We're always trying to do get togethers. We do interesting you know, meetings and stuff. And the other thing that has helped me more than anything is YouTube. I learned oh, really? how to do a ton of things from YouTube. I mean, you can learn how to do anything on YouTube, but you know, if you spend an hour a day with some education, if you're going to have a cup of coffee in the morning, learn something while you're doing it. And I've learned how to do citrus cuttings. I've learned how to do dahlia cuttings. I mean, mm. I've learned how to up my game with getting plants to start faster, better ways of fertilizing. Yeah. So, you know, if you have a couple questions, reach out to some local growers, not just like Wilco or, you know, Al's Nursery. Sometimes they they're helpful, but people who are really doing it in, in the in the midst of it will really get you going and be helpful. And then just keep asking. I mean, there's no shame in asking for help. Right, right, right. Just yeah. Be more brave. <laughs> the, the Canby area has quite the um, gardening community, does it not? Folks it that does. enjoy... Yeah. Yeah. And it's it's all um I'm going to say it's in flux also, but like I was a member of the Camby Garden Club for many years. I was vice president for a couple of years and it was mm. a great group of women, yeah. but it was it was growing in age and mm-hmm. so it was a little bit difficult to attract the younger group. And that was another reason why my friend Tammy started the the other group. Was it just a younger crowd, a little yeah. bit more active, a little yeah. bit more hands-on? So it's, you know, it might be kind of hard to find an active group, but Mm -hmm. like I still say with Facebook, you can pretty much find anything. You just have to start asking around and everybody's going to jump in there and give you an opinion. (laughs) Yeah, that's one thing Facebook's never short of or any other social media for for that matter. Well, Karen, yes, yes, it's usually bad. Karen, it has been so great to talk to you. Thanks so much for uh, taking time out and uh, sharing about your farm, which again, is Rock Tree Hill. You can check them out on Facebook and uh, hit Karen up uh, for uh, this coming season. Spring is just around the corner. We've got some really cold (laughs) weather in the uh, forecast this week, so definitely don't uh, head out to the garden yet, but uh, hopefully soon, right? Yeah, we're usually open about mid-March. Awesome. Awesome. Sounds great. Well, thanks again, Karen. All right. Thank you. Tyler, did you know that the Australian lyrebird can mimic any sound that it hears? 
even chainsaws? No, that's uh, super interesting. Did you know that a baby puffin is called a puffling? Uh, or no. that baby sea otters can't swim? So their moms wrap them up in pieces of kelp until they learn how to paddle. Wait, do you know any trivia that isn't like animal related? Not really, but here's some stuff you may not know about the Wild Hair Saloon, where Camby goes to eat and have fun. Okay. The Wild Hair is one of Camby's longest running locally owned restaurants. Owners Joan and Darren Moden have been in business for 16 years. That's cool. Yeah, heck, you were just a baby back then. I, and, wait, what? And they love to give back. They've been members of the Camby Chamber for that long, and they donate over $20,000 to local sports, FFA programs, and civic organizations each year. Wow, I'm legitimately like caught off. That's cool. Yeah. They also support more than 30 jobs in the community through their award-winning staff, some of them as young as 18. Hey, that's older than you are. Uh, dude, I'm te I'm 10 months younger than you. With, with the days getting longer and the weather getting warmer, the Canby Wild Hair's expansive outdoor patio is the place to be. Furry friends, welcome. Well, that sounds great. I'm going to go check them out just off of Highway 99E next to the Space Age in Canby at 1656 Beaver Creek Road in Oregon City or on their website at thewildhairsaloon.net. All right. Well, we are sitting here with uh, Senator Jeff Merkley uh, promoting pens, I guess. No. <laughs> I did a little video last week. Oh, okay. Awesome. Uh, somebody had put up their favorite pen, which happens to be the same as mine. Yeah. So I was like, what? Well, yeah, well, there you go. I, love, I do love the gel pens, uh, which yeah. I think that is. Those are my exactly. favorites. Yeah. There you go. Yeah. Those are, those well, are pretty we'll sweet. Send the video. Yeah, there we go. <laughs> uh, well, Senator, uh, you are in town or in, in the state for a whirlwind tour uh, doing, among other things, a town hall here at Camp Withcombe. Um, what are some things that you, uh, obviously you're here to listen, but are there certain things that you're looking to kind of share information about or share with Oregonians? Well, certainly there's a lot of work in the coming year to implement the bills we did last year, the Infrastructure Bill, mm -hmm. the Inflation Reduction Act. Uh, the incentives for uh, uh, moving quickly, as quickly as we can, to yeah. renewables from fossils. But I can tell you from my earlier town halls, I expect we'll hear about transportation, mm -hmm. and I think we're going to hear about housing, mm. and just kind of some of the general uh, challenges uh, people are feeling around the reverberations of COVID. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I know one thing that um, I'm sure you'll hear about, if it's not the first question, is uh, relating to transportation is the tolling proposal for, for I-205, probably something you've been hearing uh, about from folks uh, already, I am sure. Um, it's something that I, I hear a lot of frustration about from uh, just uh, regular people all the way up to elected officials. Uh, just seems like nobody really wants this. Nobody really understands, um, uh, seems to understand uh, th that it's needed, uh, necessarily believes that it will have the, um, the impact on congestion that ODOT is saying that it will, or at least not to the point that it offsets the harm that's feared that it'll cause to communities where this traffic's being diverted. Um, big question, big kind of topic, but uh, what are kind of your thoughts? I'm sure you've been tracking that, uh, the, the 205 tolling proposal, yeah. and what, do, what are you kind of uh, telling people? Yeah, I hate tolling. Yeah. <laughs> Who likes it, right? I mean, we call out West here, we call them freeways. Yeah. Not tollways. Not tollways, yeah. And um, I think the community has raised a lot of, of concerns about the impact on traffic being diverted into side streets. Yeah. Uh, the state has said that they may have mitigation measures 
but uh, I don't think the community has heard mm-hmm. any details about what mitigation measures might be. And uh, I think there's just a, a, a lot of uh, uh, relevant and important concerns. And, and that's just one of the reasons I do town halls is come, come listen to people. This is a, this is a state ODOT decision. Yeah. Uh, but certainly it, it uh, ties into the fact that our, 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 we do a lot of funding for freeways mm-hmm. uh, from the federal government. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Uh, let's talk housing. As you mentioned, another really big thing. Um, what are some kind of uh, uh, proposals or, or things that are out there to help folks? Obviously, it's a it's a gov- new governor Kotek has mentioned this week with her budget. It's one of the real benchmarks of, of her uh, plan for this year and, and what she's promoting to legislator legislators. So, what do we have maybe uh, in the works in the federal? From my time at Habitat for Humanity, and then I developed a affordable housing for another nonprofit, yeah. uh, Human Solutions, uh, I felt that we should be able to have a decent home and a decent community for every family. Mm. And that certainly is not where we are at. Uh, the price of buying a home has gone up, rents have gone up extraordinarily, mm-hmm. uh, is a huge factor in whether people have funds left over for health care, for food, for everything else important uh, in, in life. Uh, so we have to invest a lot more in affordable housing. I'm really pleased to see that the governor is making a, a huge priority out of it. I'm, it's always been a priority for me, uh, and in law and state legislature, and then when I was uh, when I went to the Senate, um, I have backed every possible federal strategy. But now I have a new one, and the new one is to, is to get the hedge funds mm-hmm. out of housing. Uh, over the last 14 years, they have become very aggressive in buying single-family housing, mm-hmm. which is a significant factor driving up the cost and driving up the rents. Mm-hmm. Uh, we can't compete against uh, billionaires pooling their, their, their money, yeah. and uh, so it's hurt everyone. The houses should be a, a home for families, not a profit center for mm-hmm. Wall Street. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, I wanted to ask you uh, just about doing these town halls, kind of what it feels like. Um, I imagine it must be kind of interesting, a little fun. You go from the lofty, you know, nation's capital and, and do important work there and then get to come out here and just kind of to camp with the come and hear from ordinary Oregonians. What's that I like? Just, I, you know, I live in a blue collar community. I hear from my neighbors all the time, but I want to hear from folks at every corner hmm. of the state. And uh, it's been very unpleasant having to operate by Zoom for two years, so I'm yeah. glad to be back in person. Uh, this uh, t- town hall today will be my, my ninth this year, mm. and it just feels great to be talking to people again, uh, person to person. Yeah, yeah. Um, anything uh, specific to Clackamas County that you um, uh, either kind of expect to hear from folks or that you um, are, are, are kind of focusing on or messaging on? Well, when I meet with the city councilors and county commissioners before the town hall, uh, one of the things is to hear kind of their latest take on the issues they're facing or, or new issues. Mm-hmm. I'm sure I will hear about some of the issues that they uh, had had advocated and asked me to champion for community grants. Yeah. And I was able to get a number of those grants uh, funded. Mm-hmm. Uh, so hallelujah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but that means You're that, welcome. No. that means they're going to have a long list of, yes. uh, and saying, okay, now it's going to be fiscal year. Oh, yeah. Now what can you do? What are, yeah. What can you do for me now? Uh, so. Uh, Don't want to set that expectation too high, Senator. No. Well, it was great. It was great to get quite a few important uh, things, uh, help with quite a few things, including the the nonprofit we're going to recognize today that's uh, working with uh, uh, children who have been uh, subject to domestic abuse, Mm -hmm. 
uh, and uh, helping them out, uh, helping out, uh, well, several years in a row now uh, with the effort to restore the locks, which has been mm -hmm. a big community priority. Yeah. So there'll be a new, new set of items. And, and um, <laughs> I, love, I love this. You know, it's one of the reasons that uh, I really pushed to get on the Appropriations Committee mm -hmm. was because I knew from my time back as an intern with Senator Hatfield that how important appropriations was to, to Oregon. Yeah. And so it's given uh, Oregon a front row seat. We, no one since Hatfield retired on the House or Senate side uh, from Oregon has been on appropriations. So, yeah. so I'm there with a the front row seat to take these, these community concerns, fight for them. And we delivered, uh, and I say collectively, we, uh, because certainly uh, Senator Wyden worked hard on this, as did our House members. But collectively, we uh, uh, delivered about 145 projects in the FY22 bill for scattered all over the state. Yeah. And so on these town halls, I'll be hearing about new projects. My team will be learning about them, helping communities know where in the budget they can actually apply, mm -hmm. how to write their application so that it has the best chance, and then I'll fight for them. Yeah, awesome, awesome. Um, anything else fun you're doing uh, out here in Oregon during your, your four-day? <laughs> no, I'm on the road all four days. Yeah, doing other well, town halls? Fun. Yeah, okay. yeah, nine town halls. Okay, oh, wow. Yeah. Oh, so this is uh, the ninth this year, and you're doing nine. Yeah, I'll do seventeen by the end of the by wow. by the end of Monday. That's crazy. <laughs> <laughs> that is a whirlwind. Just make sure I have my math there, right? Right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Amazing. Yeah. Um, you know, uh, one thing as well, and this might be just the last thing I ask you, but uh, in Oregon, you know, we, we kind of look over at uh, D.C. and uh, a lot of crazy stories come out of there lately, primarily from the House side, I feel. Um, just being over there and working over there in the Senate, do you guys ever kind of <laughs> hear the hear the things going on and, and think, oh, man, it's it's. It's a little bit calmer well, over here, or, or is it just is it just kind of the way it plays out in the media, and it's not really like that. Senators were glued to watching the, <laughs> the House fifteen the fifteen uh, ballots because uh, it's kind of historic, yeah. And it also sets the stage for the, for the speaker vote for the speaker yeah. vote. Uh, it sets the stage for what we will have to do in wrestling to get things passed, yeah. Uh, because we'll be working clearly with a, a House controlled by the Republican Party. But Kevin McCarthy has made so many deals to secure his position, it's not clear he can actually, like, champion and solve the challenge coming up with the debt ceiling. Yeah. And or the, the budget bills that come up this year or issues that come up around the ag, ag, ag bill. And so we, we had both kind of a... Uh, uh, just a, and it was a bit of an entertainment to watch the House uh, struggle with their 15 votes. For Honestly, speaker. appreciate it. <laughs> but it also was we were kind of trying to understand how we were going to be able to work with right. the House to get things done. Right, you laugh so you don't cry right now. <laughs> <laughs> yep. Yeah, yeah. So it's so to be seen. Have you seen since this has been a couple of weeks now since uh, that all went down? Um, uh, have you seen any kind of sign that things are uh, either Speaker McCarthy's kind of solidifying his role a little bit, or, or have there been anything positive? I guess. Um, no, it's way too soon to yeah. say. There's no substantive bills have gone through yet, and on the Senate side, the Republicans delayed assigning their their uh, their positions on committees. Yeah. So we weren't fully organized. We've been we've been sitting waiting to try to get the committees up and running. They're up and running now, but just barely. It was just, yeah. I think, on Wednesday that, that the uh, Republicans finally assigned their committee members. So uh, hopefully we'll see a lot more activity as we go into February. Awesome. Awesome. Uh, Senator Merkley, thank you so much for taking time out to talk to us yeah, um, yeah. Uh, and, and for being here. I look forward to your town hall. Thanks.
Hey, I'm AJ. I'm your uh, local Oddmos franchise owner. I'm Mike, co-founder of Oddmos. And we're the hosts of The Odd Pod, a podcast about life in the pizza industry. We're going to have on some franchisees. We're going to have some different vendors on. We're going to get a snapshot of what goes on behind the scenes in the, the pizza world. Don't forget to tell them about the sports. They're sports. And the crazy wacky pizza that we have every Wednesday that we create. And we also have a special guest every week as well. And I'm Gage, Odd Pod senior sports analyst. Gage, who gave you that title? Me. Oh boy. Find us on Spotify and Apple Music and the Podbean. Now Hear This Can Be is produced by me, Tyler Clausen. Our content director and star reporter is Tyler Frankie. And of course, our show is edited by Cameron Clausen. We also feature the vocal talents of Joy Struby and James Walden. So a round of applause to them. The song that you're hearing right now is Can Be by singer-songwriter Olivia Harms, used with her permission. To find more work from her, you can visit her website, olivia13.com. Now Hear This Can Be is dedicated to preserving independent local journalism and redefining local news with our fun, fresh, and energetic brand of storytelling. Our sincere thanks to our local sponsors who make this show possible. Please show your appreciation by supporting the small businesses who support us. The production of Now Hear This Studios, Canby's locally owned full-service audio, video, and media production company. Our mission is to produce the best content in the universe. And we'd love to help you do it. Find us online at nhtstudios.com. Um, I will take a motion to adjourn. I just moved it. I didn't even ask for it, though.